Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, it's the month of December, and we are looking at uh, not only the Christmas story, and today continuing on in our legacy series, but on today's program, which I think you're going to find very important, we are following events that we started talking about a couple weeks ago. And last week, Bob McGinnis talked about the crisis in the Ukraine, and everybody's talking about it now. Ken Timmerman comes to us, and Dave Dolan, plus we have Dr. Rich Schmidt, who will be coming, and he's given us a very important update about the pre-trib conference that took place in Dallas. But Rick, I'm looking forward to today's program. Ken and Dave, as usual, will be the first two guys up, and there are so many things taking place in the world right now, especially when it comes to the situation in Iran and the situation in Russia and the Ukraine. These are hot spots, things that are taking place that are going to affect each and every one of us, and so we need to go to our sources and find out what's going on. I do have Ken Timmerman with me. Ken, I take it you're back from the south of France and back in the United States? I'm uh, back in the United States, uh, Rick, and uh, happily in northeastern Florida, the freest state of the Union. (laughs) That that, that is true. More and more nowadays, too, huh? And the weather is great there this time of year, too, isn't it? And the weather is great. It's it's certainly warmer than the south of France was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got a lot of stories to get into today, Ken, but we want to start with... uh, what you are referring to as the crisis in Ukraine or the Ukrainian crisis. And uh, there's many things that happened this week, including a phone call between uh, President Biden and Putin. And so could you update us on that situation and let us know where we stand there? Sure. Well, this is now a a crisis. And the Russians have over 100,000 troops inside their own borders, but close to Ukraine. Putin is making absolutely crystal clear what his red lines are. Biden is gesticulating and claiming in public that he will not respect anybody else's red lines. At the same time, he has trouble articulating any alternative. They had a Zoom call on Thursday. We only saw the opening bits of it where Biden ridiculously kind of throws up his arms in a pretend embrace of Putin. Uh, You really wonder this disconnect between gestures like that and his tough talk here at home. Remember that Biden ran in 2020 still accusing Trump of being a puppet of Putin and claiming that he was going to be tougher on Russia than Trump had ever been. Well, that's not clear at all. What he has done is use tough language, and I would argue very dangerous language towards Russia, talking about not allowing Russia to invade Ukraine and taking dramatic steps to prevent that from happening. In addition, you have somebody like a Republican Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi saying that the United States should contemplate nuclear weapons against Russia if they go into Ukraine. I mean, we are getting really on the verges of insane political speech here in the United States. I'm very concerned, and I think the possibility that this could descend into war is very real. Wow. Well, that's very alarming for sure. I I heard some stories this week, and and I was listening to some things, and some people claim, I guess there's two schools of thought, that maybe Putin is just posturing, and he's setting up a negotiating stance, and he's not really going to do anything in Ukraine. And then another crowd claims, listen, if this guy says this is what he's going to do, we need to believe him and prepare for it. Yeah, I I do not believe Putin is is posturing. Uh, Ukraine is a go-to-the-mat issue for him and for Russia. 
This is their near abroad. It's their next door neighbor. We would not like to see Russia in Canada. We would not like to see Russia in Mexico. Those are our next door neighbors. We are essentially threatening Putin with making Ukraine a NATO ally of the West and in so doing stationing U.S. troops or Western European troops in Ukraine right on Russia's border. This is something that is alarming to Putin, alarming to the Russian leadership in general, to the Russian generals, uh, the Red Army generals, uh, and it's something that is understandably alarming to them. What I find really incomprehensible is the stupidity of Biden and Secretary of Defense Austin claiming that they will transform Ukraine into a NATO ally and that they will defend Ukraine as if it were a NATO ally before they join NATO. This is completely insane. Uh, I have yet to hear them define what is the U.S. national interest in Ukraine, where we would send American soldiers, men and women, to die. What is our national strategic interest in Ukraine? And this is a problem, I think. The President of the United States, if he wants to pursue this dangerous policy, needs to tell the American people what's at stake and what our interests are. So far, he hasn't done so. I'm not trying to be partisan, and I don't want to pile on um, the American president because he is our president. But I'm a little worried. I'm not sure. And, you know, we've all seen some of the videos and some of the... uh, um, some of his press appearances recently, and I'm just not 100% sure he's up to the task of matching wits with Putin. Well, I don't think he is up to that task, but that's less important, frankly, because there is a national security uh, establishment behind him. I don't think this is a mano a mano deal that we're looking at. Uh, that's not the problem. The problem is that this entire administration in Washington has embarked on a strategy towards Ukraine Uh, and towards Russia in Ukraine, which is confrontational, uh, which uh, is guaranteed to uh, uh, provoke Russian aggression, guaranteed to provoke Russian aggression. And they've done this without articulating a national security objective or a national security interest that the United States might have in Ukraine. I think that is tremendously dangerous. And by the way, I would say the only interest that I've heard them articulate is that they are pursuing a policy which is not Donald Trump's policy. And they're doing this many places around the world. Uh, It's a bit pathetic, frankly, to see that an administration would be formulating foreign policy in opposition to what its predecessor Mm. did, Mm -hmm. the previous administration did. I think this is a really poor way of formulating policy, uh, but I don't. I think that's exactly what they're doing. Well, we will continue to watch this situation as we go, and we'll continue to inform our listeners. Um, But let's move on a little bit uh, and talk about some other things going on in the geopolitical sphere. And I'd like to go to the Middle East, and it looks like the United Arab Emirates and the Saudis are tired of waiting so long for the U.S. and Israel to repair the situation and uh, slow the nuclear program down with Iran. And I feel like their, their, their patience is up. What's going on there? And what can you tell us about that? Well, here's something that Americans need to understand, and it's not terribly difficult. Uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are directly across a narrow Persian Gulf from Iran, from the Islamic regime in Tehran. And uh, they are on the front lines in the same way that Israel is on the front lines. And they are very worried 
when they look at how the Biden team is desperate to get a nuclear deal with Iran, and they are afraid that the U.S. will take a temporary deal, that the Iranians will turn into a permanent deal, and in fact, it will just give the Iranian regime the time that it needs to build an entire nuclear arsenal. Not a single weapon, but an entire nuclear arsenal. Remember, Rick, uh, the Iranians have announced that they've enriched 25 kilograms of uranium to 60%. That's basically enough for one nuclear weapon already. We don't know how much more they have enriched, but we know their capabilities. They have done that in a couple of months. So it is entirely conceivable by June of next year, Iran could have three, four, five nuclear weapons, and the Saudis and the Emiratis see that we are doing basically nothing to prevent that from happening. And I think that's why you're seeing them now looking at possible other options this week. We had the UAE National Security Advisor go to Tehran, kowtow before his Iranian counterpart, General uh, Admiral Shamkhani, uh, uh, and, and uh, meet with the new president, Ebrahim Raisi. The Iranians are, are very, very good at intimidating their neighbors, and they're trying to intimidate the Emiratis. Meanwhile, the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, was making a separate tour of Arab Gulf states, uh, and in particular went to Oman, where he asked the new uh, sultan, uh, Haitham bin Tarak, if he would serve as an intermediary with the Iranians to see if they can possibly lower tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran, not just over the nuclear program, but also with this war in Yemen. So the Saudis and the Emiratis are engaging in what, you know, I think you could call realpolitik. They see that the Americans have been slow, have been incompetent, have not been able to check the Iranian nuclear weapons program. And when they look to Israel, they see that even Israel's very proactive um, uh, stance, going in, conducting sabotage, shutting down nuclear facilities by cyber attacks uh, and assassination of Iranian scientists, that has not been enough. So they're worried that even Israel will be unable to, to uh, slow Iran's program down. And really what we're reaching here, Rick, is the conclusion that the only way to stop the Iranians is by war. Well, Ken, thank you so much, and I think it's important for our listeners not only to stay involved in learning about this situation, and you can do that through listening to Ken and listening to our program here, but to also pray for our leaders, because these are very serious subjects, very serious things that are taking place, and we are keeping an eye on them. Thank you, Ken, for doing that, and we hope to continue to allow you to do that and allow you to uh, educate our listeners as the weeks go by. Thanks so much, Rick. It's a troubling situation. God bless. Rick, great interview with Ken Timmerman, and uh, thanks to Ken for doing that with us each week. And what was one thing that stood out to you in that interview? The thing that stood out to me for sure is that it just seems like uh, one little domino falling could set a lot of things into motion here and what will be the next stage. And, and, and of course, we're always talking about the stage being set for, for the end-time scenario to take place. Is that what's going on here right now? It's just it's such a supercharged situation right now. It sure is. And week to week, we're watching the the Russian-Ukraine situation along with Iran and what's going on there. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Dave Dolan in his Middle East news update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Last Friday, the Taliban released a decree on Afghan women's rights. They said women should not be considered property or be forced into marriages. However, the statement failed to mention women's right to work or education. Denise Godwin with International Media Ministries says women throughout the Bible faced similar cultural attitudes, but God walked with them. IMM's Women of the Bible follows some of these stories. Ask God to walk with Afghan women as well. And another major challenge surfaces in Jordan. The country's deputy prime minister says hardly a day passes without drug busts at the border with Syria. Jordan's already dealing with several crises, making life even harder for believers and the population in general. MENA Leadership Center helps gospel workers get the tools and training they need to do more in the name of Jesus. Look for the full report at our website and pray for unity among churches. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries on Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today for our Middle East News Update. This is a segment that we do every week, and typically we are joined by our friend Dave Dolan, who this week has not only agreed to do the Middle East News Update, but he's going to be coming back later on in the second half hour, and we're going to talk about the the roots and the causes and the rise of anti-Semitism in the world. But we'll start with uh, the news coming out of the Middle East. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Glad to do it, Rick. The first thing I want to talk about, Dave, this week is President Erdogan of Turkey has said any improving of relations with Israel is going to depend on the Palestinian issue. Well, and he's been saying that for over a decade now. Of course, the relations between Turkey and Israel were very good for many years. Uh, Erdogan came into power, and they started to deteriorate uh, almost immediately, but 10, 11 years ago now it's been. But Erdogan has been making attempts in the past couple years to improve ties again with Israel. They actually broke relations and called their ambassador home after the 2010 incident. But in 2016, they sent one back, and then he pulled them out again in 2018 when there was rioting going on in the Gaza Strip. And Erdogan has become a great supporter of the Hamas movement. He's been stepping up activity uh, in and around Jerusalem in support of the Palestinians. And um, he's been doing other things that the Israelis have not been very happy about. But he was down in the Gulf, down in the UAE this week, and he made a statement saying, why not improve relations with Israel? We're open to that. And uh, the new government in Israel, of course, being a more center-left government than the Netanyahu government, 
uh, makes that a bit easier for him. But he still makes regular anti-Israel statements. He still wants to see the reconstitution, many believe, of the Ottoman Empire that came to an end basically in Jerusalem when General Allenby marched into the city. That's 104 years ago. Um, this week, I think it is around now. So, you know, there's conflicting messages coming out from the man, but he is still around and still an active participant in what's going on and very closely looking right now to his north, uh, just north of Turkey, where we may have this Russian invasion of Ukraine at any time. So that's probably a bit more concerning to Turkey right at the moment. Well, certainly want to keep an eye on Turkey, and we do understand what President Erdogan's ambitions are. Uh, Next thing I'd like to talk about, I know just recently they have completed a a security fence in Gaza. It's not only a fence that goes up, but it's a fence that goes down to prevent tunnels. Yeah, it's uh, quite remarkable, uh, Rick. I've uh, seen previous versions of this. The Israelis built along the Israeli border with the Sinai Peninsula that Egypt controls. That was after a, a bunch of terror infiltrations there. It's nearly 20 feet tall around the Gaza Strip, about 40 miles long, and it's got all sorts of sophisticated devices. It's got cameras. And as you said, uh, it also goes deep into the ground so that they can detect uh, Palestinian tunnels. Hamas, we know, has been building these tunnels underground into Israel and has actually used these tunnels in the past, Rick, to infiltrate terrorists into Israeli communities near the Gaza Strip. Of course, Israel bombed a bunch of those tunnels in the May War, and uh, this fence is uh, meant to deter people from coming in. A lot of criticism that it's uh, isolating Gaza, but the Israeli governments, the various ones, have pointed out that the security barrier near Jerusalem, and actually all along the Judea-Samaria area with Jerusalem, near Nablus in the north and near Hebron in the south, has been very effective in stopping terrorist infiltrations from there into Israel proper. So the Gaza fence is done. It's been about three years they've been building it, and they're hoping it will help to keep a little bit of calm there. But meanwhile, we've had trouble even this week around that area, and that goes on. And one thing these tunnels have been used for in the past, if I'm not mistaken, is smuggling rockets in, and those rockets have been used and shot out of Gaza and into Israel proper. Well, and the tunnels are a two-way system, as you suggest, and they're especially concerned about tunnels on the other side, the southern side of Gaza, that go into Egypt. And those are believed to be major uh, weapon smuggling um, operations going on there. The Egyptians have tried to stop it several times, but the Israelis believe that some smuggling does continue to go on. By the way, the uh, fence is not only on land, it extends into the Mediterranean Sea in the north of the Gaza Strip, because, of course, there's been infiltrations from the sea as well, and they want to prevent as much as they can Palestinians having the freedom to do that. Of course, the Palestinians, again, saying we're being surrounded here, we're being cut off, we're being enslaved. But uh, the Hamas government in the Gaza Strip isn't exactly a friendly neighbor to Israel. They continue to declare openly their goal is to join Iran and others in destroying Israel entirely. So the Israelis say, what choice do we have but to protect ourselves and put up these various security barriers? Well, moving on from the Gaza area there and the situation with the Palestinians, 
I also noticed that Israel is conducting large-scale aerial exercises, basically simulating an attack on Iran that would be used to deter them from becoming a nuclear power. Yeah, Rick, we've had these exercises over the past couple of months in the south of Israel, but Israel's Channel 11 announced this week that Israel would uh, launch an exercise probably in May or June out over the Mediterranean, and it would, as you say, simulate a attack upon Iran. It would be about 800 miles uh, in distance that the planes would travel, F-15s, F-16s, the stealth F-35s that the Israelis have would all be involved. Uh, refueling aircraft would be involved, which would be needed for a strike on Iran's nuclear program. And that's about the same distance as Iran's uh, nuclear targets are from Israel to the east. This, of course, would be to the west, out over the ocean. Uh, they would uh, alert uh, their neighbors and allies like Greece and Cyprus, uh, Egypt, and others along the route that they're doing this, so everybody knows it's not an actual attack going on. But um, this comes as Defense Minister Benny Gantz is in Washington, D.C., discussing the possibility of military action against Iran with U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and they openly said that that was going to be the main topic of their discussions. Uh, they call it Plan B. In other words, if the uh, negotiations going on in Vienna fail, and they've been very much uh, stalled, no progress so far after uh, several weeks of those talks, and that was after they were broken off in June after several months of them earlier this year, so um, it's looking more and more, and Israeli leaders are saying so, and uh, even the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, hinted at this, that military action may indeed be needed. So this would be Israel practicing uh, that in a major way, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. But, of course, there's the possibility that before this exercise was held later in the year, next year, that there would be an actual need to go after uh, Iran's nuclear program, if indeed they announce, for instance, that they are building nuclear weapons. They're almost to the point now where they're admitting that. The Americans are saying clearly they're enriching uranium way beyond what they would need for medical reasons or research reasons, the excuses they've given before that it's a military program. Uh, and, of course, um, Lloyd Austin will be asked by Defense Minister Gantz to participate in any Israeli action needed. And Britain and France and Germany and others are, are hope to be on board, the Israelis would hope, if they do have to take some sort of action like that. In our preceding conversation with Ken Timmerman, these talks that are taking place right now don't look to have much chance of success, and there does seem to be an air of inevitability and in that this is going to probably take place and Israel is going to have to take its safety in its own hands. Well, and another indication of that, Rick, this week was the meeting in Tehran between a senior leader of the United Arab Emirates that, of course, made peace with Israel formally under the Abraham Accords uh, in Tehran. And this was uh, with a big map right behind them showing how large Iran is, and at the very bottom was the small Arab statelets that are uh, to the south of the Persian Gulf. But uh, analysts in Israel are saying this is because the uh, UAE, the Saudis, and others are concluding that they cannot rely on the United States to take any military action. 
and that if the U.S. won't do it, if the Biden administration won't do it, I should say, that maybe Israel's government would not attack the program and that Iran would be allowed to acquire nuclear weapons. That's the last thing these Arab states want to see. But um, they seem to be saying, well, we better start talking directly to Iran because it looks like uh, that may be the only way to prevent uh, action against us. So situation does not look good. And as you say, those talks have been going nowhere. And the Iranians are basically admitting now that they're working towards uh, acquiring nuclear weapons. Well, we are certainly on top of this situation. And guys like you and Ken, who are preceded you, are really keeping our listeners informed. These are serious times for sure. Well, Dave, as I said earlier, you have agreed to come back in the second half hour and talk to us a little bit about the rise of anti-Semitism. So it's goodbye for now, but we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you, Rick. God bless. Rick, we've got to take a break right now, but when we return, you and Dave will be talking about anti-Semitism right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother Rick. Coming up in this next half hour, we have David Dolan and then we have Dr. Rich Schmidt coming and giving us a, uh, an update on the pre-trib conference that just took place in Dallas. Well, as promised, we have back with us Dave Dolan. He was with us in his normal spot at the Middle East News Update. But now we want to talk to him again about a special subject. And that special subject is the rise or continuation of anti-Semitism in the world. What brought this about, and I know Dave has done talks about this, but what brought this about, last week we talked about the UN's resolutions condemning Israel, and they have condemned various countries for human rights abuses across the, across the world, but 75% of their condemning resolutions are directed at the tiny state of Israel. The next closest one um, at a much, much smaller percentage is Russia, and places like China are hardly mentioned. So it just seems like it's something is way out of balance, way out of whack, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Dave. Well, Rick, I'm glad to uh, discuss it, even though I'm sad to discuss it. I wish there wasn't such a reality. Uh, the United Nations, of course, played a pivotal role in Israel's recreation, uh, in 1948, uh, reemergence on the world stage after 2,000 years of the Jewish people being scattered all over the earth without a homeland, as of course the Bible prophesied they would be, 
And the Bible said they would be returned in the end days and rebuild the ancient cities and towns. And whenever you go to talk to Winky Madad in Shiloh, that's ancient Shiloh or Shiloh, some people would say, um, reconstituted towns. But the UN's role after 1948, in which it was a pretty positive force for that, um, deteriorated quickly. And uh, I think one of the central reasons uh, for this disproportionate condemnation of Israel every year in a whole series of resolutions that are reintroduced every year and passed by the vast majority of the General Assembly countries is the oil reality. Saudi Arabia is the center of Islam, where Mecca is, and Medina, where Muhammad is buried. And they have, or did have anyway, the world's largest oil reserves uh, on Earth. Uh, Now, Russia and the United States have uh, developed their own oil and have surpassed Saudi Arabia in terms of what they actually produce. But the Saudis, of course, are part of the much larger Arab-Muslim world that uh, combine all their oil and put Iran's oil in there, and you have about uh, two-thirds of the world's oil under the control of Islamic countries. And these resolutions are mostly based on Islam's view that uh, the Jews have been scattered from their land, as the Bible predicted, but the Quran adds they would never return to their land. They would never rule as a sovereign people once again. They would never rule over Muslims or have any authority over Muslims or Muslim holy sites. Well, of course, the reality is there is a thriving, growing Jewish state whose uh, gross national product is about double all of her surrounding neighbors combined, um, thriving, growing all the time. And it doesn't have that much oil, although they discovered natural gas off the coast, but it comes from that Islamic worldview. And even countries that are not uh, Muslim-majority countries, or maybe don't have many Muslims in them at all, usually vote for those resolutions because, of course, they do need to get it. Uh, from the oil from the Middle East, and they bow basically to the the will of the Arab nation. Well, very interesting, and that's the current or modern reality as well. If we were to look at this from a biblical perspective, what would be, in your mind, the roots of anti-Semitism? Well, Rick, you know, I wrote a book in the early 90s that became an international bestseller, was translated into eight other languages and English, Thomas Nelson published, called Holy War for the Promised Land. And the main thrust of that book was that this war is an ancient war. It's not a new modern war. It doesn't fester because Israel's in Judea and Samaria from 1967 on, or captured the Golan Heights, or briefly held on to the Sinai Peninsula. Those are all factors, but that at its root, it is a holy war, a religious war. And what sets that off? The question of whose God is God. And in the talks that I've given over the years around the world on this subject, uh, I've pointed that out, that For the uh, Muslims, they believe they've superseded, they've replaced Judaism, and that's, of course, not a novel idea. That's an idea that they got from replacement theology in Christianity, which is still a very large part of the Christian world would adhere to that idea that God is finished with the Jews as a sovereign, revelatory people 
and they're relegated to history and not the future. Well, that isn't, of course, what the Bible says. It's not what you and I and millions of evangelical Christians, billions, really, uh, well, maybe billions is optimistic, but millions around the world believe. But that is stated, as I mentioned uh, in the earlier question, that is stated in the Quran that uh, they are no longer uh, a ruling people, etc. Well, the reality is different. So that's the modern thing, but going back to ancient times, uh, it's the same question, whose God is God? And beyond that, if the Bible is the Word of God and the final revelation of truth, as we believe, then there is a God of Israel who is also the God of the universe. He's not just Israel's God. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar and other uh, Cyrus and other ancient uh, Gentile authorities recognized his reality and his power. Of course, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, only after the um, three uh, Jews were thrown into the fire, and then the Lord appeared with them, and they didn't even have smoke on their clothes when they came out. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is obviously God. Well, that's what the Bible says, but the Bible also says God has an opponent, Hasatan, the adversary in Hebrew. We call him Satan or the devil. And he opposes everything that God does or wants to do, tries to thwart everything that God uh, is doing. And guess what? He knows that the Bible is true. He knows that what's written in it is reality and is not just uh, a myth or something like that. He knows that one day he will be placed in the lake of fire and... uh, will be finished as uh, his ability to influence anyone or, or create havoc and all of this. So he's fighting all the time against God and God's people, and that is, first and foremost, the Jewish people. Also, of course, believers in, in Yeshua, Jesus, but primarily the Jewish people. And that explains this uh, the fact that this has gone on since the beginning of Israel's uh, existence as a country, and that we've had waves of anti-Jewish pogroms and persecutions and that throughout history um, from Hitler. And when you and I were talking earlier, I mentioned that even in countries where there are no Jews or no Muslims, for instance, Japan during World War II adopted Hitler's view that uh, the Aryan people and the Oriental people, maybe in their case, or the other peoples than the Jews are the dominant people in terms of God's view, and the Jews must be opposed. So you have this real religious, spiritual, I would say, spiritual battle at the basis of anti-Semitism, and that's why it continues to crop up all the time. And in the past year, we saw in the May War all sorts of anti-Israel demonstrations and and uh, rioting and trouble everywhere all over the earth but you looked at a lot of the placards and a lot of the statements that were made they were anti-semitic they were anti-jewish not just anti-israeli so that's just the reality of course we know the god of the bible is god and he did say he'd bring them back and he is doing that and the gates of hell will not prevail Mm. against what uh, the true god is doing so essentially, ever since uh, God brought Abraham up out of the Ur of Chaldees and set aside the Jewish people and made covenants and promises with them, they've had a target on their back for those that are essentially anti-God or trying to battle God. 
Well, Rick, uh, one of the funniest things I ever heard, I was listening to a speech by one of the chief rabbis in Israel. Oh, this must have been 20, 25 years ago. And he said, you know, we Jews often say, we're the chosen people. And then we look up and say to God, so, choose someone else already. (laughs) Uh, Yes, they understand, at least religious Jews do, that a lot of the uh, animosity that comes against them is not really because of anything they do or don't do, just the fact that they exist. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that they have a reborn state is a strong testimony that the God of the Bible is God, and Satan is not, and Muhammad's uh, religion is not the final revelation of truth, as they claim. Shintoism, Buddhism, all the other isms around the world are there, and that people adhere to them, but it is the Jewish people that are the chosen people, and Christians are grafted into that root of Israel, as uh, Paul makes clear in the book of Romans, and uh, that's just the reality. And so, you know, they, they are chosen, not because they deserve it, not because they have done everything right. Ezekiel, it states that I'll return you to the land because of my name's sake. You've shamed me by being dispersed from the land, and I only had to do that, was forced to do that because of your excessive sin, sending your children into the fire and uh, worshiping idols and other things. But for my name's sake, I've restored you and returned you. So again, it's not that they're better. It's just, just that this is God's choice. He will fulfill all his commitments and promises to them. Well, Dave, my final question for you, and this is a cause for concern, and you briefly mentioned it, those that think that the church has replaced Israel are a particular threat to Israel and to God's promises to the Jewish people, are they not? They are, Rick, and you know, that theology was formulated over the centuries and became a sort of a dominant uh, force amongst uh, Protestants in the 1700s, the 1800s, and, um, you know, they thought they had the right view there. Well, it looked like God was finished with the Jewish people. I mean, they were about, they were going through the pogroms in Russia, hundreds of thousands were slaughtered. Then, of course, in the last century, we had the Holocaust. Millions were slaughtered. They were stateless. They were persecuted. It looked like they were finished. But then 1948 happened, Mm -hmm. and then 1967 happened, a miraculous six-day war in which they recaptured all of their ancient biblical land, almost, to the promised borders are a bit wider. And uh, so that theology was challenged by reality, was challenged by the news you were hearing every day. Um, And yet, as you say, uh, that just caused many of them, their theologians in particular, to dig in their heels deeper. And therefore, yes, they resent uh, the modern rebirth of Israel, some of them, and some of them actively work to see Israel disbanded, Mm. destroyed, and support these uh, movements to boycott and disinvest, etc., to, as it were, uh, reprove their theology. Well, I have news for them. The Jewish people are back, and they're back to stay. God is fulfilling His promises. He's doing it because He is faithful, even if we're faithless. The Jewish people were faithless at times, but He remained faithful, and He's doing it, and it's time they changed their theology. 
I heard my dad say many times, God made promises to the Jewish people just as he made promises to you and I as Christians. He's going to keep the promises to the Jewish people, and he's going to keep the promises to us as well. So this is some great information, Dave. Thank you for going into overtime with us today and coming back in this second half hour and sharing this information with our listeners. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. David Dolan, our Mideast correspondent for so many years. Thank you, Rick. And David, thank you for going the extra time and giving us a little bit extra on anti-Semitism and the anti-Semitic acts that are taking place worldwide and how that pertains to uh, the end times or the last days that we're talking about. Well, on the radio today, we have a special friend, uh, not only of mine, he's a very good close friend of mine, but uh, he was a close friend of my father's. Dr. Rich Schmidt, former sheriff of Milwaukee County in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, now pastor at Union Grove Baptist Church. And uh, Rich, great to have you here with us again today. Well, Dr. DeYoung, it's uh, great to be with you and always appreciate getting a call from you. Uh, Well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is uh, just recently, uh, they just finished the conference in Dallas of the pre-trib, pre-tribulation study group. It's a group that was started over 30 years ago. Uh, My father was a part of the original group that met together and they did this meeting, uh, uh, Bible teachers. For over 30 years, I think Dad was there for probably 25 of those 30 years. Tell us a, a little bit about the group and why you as a prophecy teacher and pastor go to those meetings. Well, first of all, I'm really glad that you had mentioned uh, the start of this group happened approximately 30 years ago. Uh, Tim LaHaye was one of the, the major founders who many, many folks, of course, know from the Left Behind series. And what was very special, uh, especially for uh, your family, Jimmy, was the fact that this this conference, this particular time, was centered on globalism. But one of the key things that they do, they have a nice banquet the first night of the conference, and they remembered uh, uh, three of the individuals that were integral, if you will, in the prophetic ministry, and one of those, of course, being your dad. So I was very, very happy that uh, Dr. Tommy Ice spent some time. Uh, They had a very nice remembrance uh, of your father, what he had done, his tremendous ministry that he had literally worldwide, specifically in Israel, and of course with us in the United States. So it was very special to be part of that. Uh, But again, the conference was mainly uh, on this particular subject, looking at the, the issue of what's happening, if you will, from a prophetic nature, as to the push of globalism across the world. This conference started out, and we're going to talk about that push of globalism around the world and uh, this world system that's coming into place, setting up future prophetic events. But this pre-trib conference was started by mainly just a group of uh, Bible prophecy teachers and professors and uh, the likes of Dr. John Walvert and Pentecost and Whitcomb and some of these guys that would get together. Uh, My father, of course, Tommy Ice, um, Dr. Randall Price, a lot of the men that have been on this program, and they would share papers together. They would talk about ideas just so that there was some sort of accountability so that people would not go running off and take prophetic passages take them out of context and misapply them. It was a way of keeping Bible teachers accountable for what they're teaching. But 
let's get back to uh, Dr. Schmidt. Let's get back to the aspect of globalism, what you talked about. What were some of the highlights that you felt uh, that were really important when we we're looking at globalism today? Well, there are a couple of excellent speakers. And again, as you mentioned, uh, the conference originally started specifically centering in only on prophecy teachers. Now, uh, 30 years later, there are some 315 people there, many of them non-prophecy teachers, but simply wanting to, if you will, get into the scholarly, academic, and practical concepts of prophecy. Again, that brings us to the issue of globalism. Uh, there are several wonderful speakers, some that were well-known, uh, one particular individual, uh, Jeff Kinley, who has written a lot of books on prophecy. He's written over 30 books already. And bringing out some of the very practical but very pertinent issues regarding what's going to be taking place to really form globalism. The biggest issue that he brought out was the, the reformation of governments across the world. Mm. I like to bring it really close to home because, and I've I've always stated this in the last year, why did we lose President Trump, and why do we now have President Biden? And it's this is speculation, of course, but trying to think what has to happen in America, if you will, for the globalism to really fit in. And again, this isn't good, bad on either president. What the point is is that the last president, President Trump, was a nationalist. He was really centered in on making America what it should be. The current president, President Biden, we're seeing a massive shift over the last year from a nationalistic standpoint to globalism. So this is fitting into, if you will, as your dad used to say, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now we're seeing a massive change in hearts. I want to bring out, and uh, for those that might like to take notes, I'm going to give them five C's real quickly. That's great. That's <laughs> fitting right into uh, the prophetic pattern. When we look at what we're looking forward to, we're looking forward to the rapture and what will take place after that. But we're going to look at very quickly here. I want to give you five quick things on what is currently happening today as we speak that is, I think, going to be the pattern for what will take place after the rapture. The first C is crisis. Right now, America as well as the world is going through the COVID crisis. I believe this is strongly setting the stage for what's going to take place in the future. That crisis leads to our second C, which is chaos, panic, fear, uh, the concept of the, the pandemic. Everybody, not just in America, but across the world, is in this massive panic. Well, the third thing is calm. Uh, what's causing right now some calm? Well, we have masks. We have social distancing. We have things that are bringing a little bit of calm. The next C is where we get into problem compliance, which is you must take the vaccine, you must buy in, you must follow, if you will, the world order, and I'm using that on purpose. So we have crisis, chaos, calm, compliance, and then the uh, fifth C is control. Once you get the buy-in, once you have people, if you will, on the hook, then the control comes where the ruling government, and of course, uh, when we look at it from the prophetic scenario, the Antichrist will one day form his one world government, Revelation chapter 
13. And we're seeing all these things right now. And again, I don't think COVID has anything to do with the final world order, mm. but I do believe it is setting the stage for when the Antichrist comes on the scene and he's going to use, if you will, that progression of those five C's, crisis, chaos, calm, compliance, and control to become the world dictator. Well, we're talking with Dr. Rich Schmidt. And Rich, your background in politics and running for political office, being involved on a national level of, of uh, really kind of uh, cross-pollinating or networking with men that are in the know, this gives you your background as to why you can say this. Where are we on those seas right now as far as the world in which we live? Well, I think one of the very interesting things, which just literally happened yesterday, was we're we're watching what's happening with the with the president's mandate here in America mm. that any organization with a hundred or more employees, the Senate vetoed that or basically repealed that, stating that the the president could not mandate that these companies, if they have a hundred or more employees, had to take the vaccine. Uh, what's interesting is today the president has come out and made the statement that he's going to veto what the Senate did. So what is this telling us? It's telling us very simply that we're heading towards this concept of a dictatorial government. And again, I'm, if you're for President Biden or against him, that's not my issue. My issue is this. What we're seeing happen, the tremendous, strong control of these globalist leaders, of which I believe our president is certainly on that trajectory, what we're seeing is that is exactly the kind of thing that's going to take place across the world and eventually set the stage for the Antichrist to come in, make these strong dictatorial moves and not just America, but the world who has many other individuals that run on these dictatorial-type concepts, it's going to be set up. They're just going to, if you will, like sheep to the slaughter, fall in line, and the Antichrist will take over, and in short order, he will indeed be ruling the world. Yes. You know, we're, folks, we're not pushing a political agenda. And, and as a matter of fact, we understand that, the, and I do very well understand that uh, this pandemic, uh, COVID, is a very real thing. I lost my father to it. I almost passed from it. But um, we are seeing that there is uh, a global uh, network that's being put in place to uh, affect control uh, which is that final C. Rich, how do you see us as Christians today? How can we survive and live as believers? What is some positive encouragement that you can give us from the Word of God to help us in the in the days in which we're living? All right, well, absolutely, and I totally agree with what you just said. This isn't about the current government. This is about what we're seeing setting the stage for the future. But here's from a biblical perspective what should me and you be looking for? Well, Second Corinthians chapter 5 basically spells it out. Bible makes it very clear that we are to be ambassadors for mm, Christ. Amen. Folks, I'm not concerned about, uh, if you will, though, the terrible things that are happening as much as I'm concerned about this. We have been called to follow Christ and to get the gospel out. That's the most important thing. Luke 19.10, Jesus made the uh, uh, the mission of the church is to seek and to save those who are lost. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul reiterates the mission 
which is that the gospel must go out. This is an acceptable saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So uh, I, I think to some degree Christians to some degree are having a little bit of an identity crisis. Should mm-hmm. we be more concerned yep. with the cultural yep. issues and with the world issues, or should we be concerned about the mission that Christ has given us, which is, yes, horrible times could come even before the rapture. We understand that. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. People are hungry. They're looking. They're scared. They need an answer. And folks that are Christians have those answers. And the great news is this. God uses his people uh, like me and you, Jimmy, and uh, many, many others who will be listening, he uses us to get the gospel out. Dr. Schmidt, before you go, you have a television program. Can you just tell people how they can tune into your television program? Well, sure. Uh, the easiest way, because it's only locally in Milwaukee, but it's national, international, if you go to, and here's the acronym, VCY, like Victory Christian Youth, VCY dot TV. You plug that into your browser, vcy.tv, you'll find Prophecy Focus and many other great uh, Christian broadcasts at that particular website. You know, and you might even see me with Dr. Rich Schmidt on that television program. Great to have you with us. Uh, Thanks again, Dr. Schmidt, and uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. Well, thank you, Jimmy, and have a wonderful time serving the Lord during this Christmas season. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. This is quickly becoming one of our popular series. Uh, My father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, teaching from God's Word. And we're replaying those old sermons. Today, we're taking a look at the date that we use for Christmas, December 25th. Coming up right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Back to Prophecy Today, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this is a special month of December, and uh, we, you know we, we look forward to this period of time because it's a great time of the holiday, but we also are thinking about others and how we as a ministry will continue on. We are thankful, we are very thankful that we've been able to continue this ministry, and we want to continue this ministry. We believe in what God has us doing here. We believe that uh, we're living in a time like no other. For that very reason, we would love for those of you that are interested in partnering with us. This is the end of the year, and it's a very important time for raising support for the ministry for us to be able to continue to do what we feel the Lord has called us to do. If you are interested in being part of our ministry here and of supporting Prophecy Today, becoming a partner with us, you can go to prophecytoday.com and uh, you can follow the information there and you'll see what we have. But we would appreciate, if not for financial support, we would definitely appreciate the prayers of those that are listening to the program right now. We sure would. Well, this is the time for our Legacy Series. On today's broadcast, we're going to continue with interesting details and facts as they relate to the Christmas story. What a season of the year for the family, and uh, it's always great to be together, to love each other, and to celebrate the birth of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, 
we're going to be looking at what about the day that we are to celebrate his birth, December 25th. Is that truly the day that Christ was born on? So take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin our study there. This is the Legacy Series on Migdal Adar that Dr. Jimmy DeYoung does, and the details and effects and how it relates to the Christmas story. Today we're going to continue our study of interesting facts and details related to the Christmas story, the first coming of Jesus Christ, which took place almost 2,000 years ago. I'm going to answer the question that many, many people ask all the time. Was it really December the 25th that Jesus Christ was born on? You know, I've heard sermon after sermon, and you probably have as well, heard sermons and preachers telling us that no way was Jesus Christ born on December the 25th. That would be in the middle of the winter. And in those fields in Bethlehem, uh, it would be a terrible time out there in the cold winter night with rain and sleet and snow. Listen, I lived in Jerusalem for the last 20 years, and I know exactly how it is in December there in those shepherd's fields. And I've seen six inches of snow on those shepherd's fields. It was a beautiful Christmas scene because so often we relate Christmas to snow. Those same sermons have talked about the shepherds not being able to be in the shepherd's fields at that point in time. I want to tell you, they had to be in those fields. But again, we have to go back to the question, how can we know if it was December the 25th, the true day of the birth of Jesus Christ? We're going to look today at the text, what God's Word has to say about it, the tyrant connected with this event of Christmas, and the theologians, and how did they come to the conclusion of accepting the 25th of December as the birth date for Jesus Christ. Let's go first to the text, and we'll go to the book of Luke chapter 1, where we have one of the chapters that's dealing with the first coming of Jesus Christ, his birth. Let's go to verse 5, because in this verse, we're going to find out actually information helping us to determine the actual month that Jesus Christ would have been born. Remember, we're talking about Zacharias, who is a priest. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and he was of the course of Abia. Now, let me stop right there. The course of Abia, what's that talking about? Well, remember King David was not allowed to build the temple because of sin in his life. His son Solomon would actually build the temple. In First Chronicles chapter 24, King David sets in place 24 courses for the 28,000 priests to work at the temple during the year. They would only work about a two-week period of time. Zacharias was of the course of Abia. According to additional Jewish literature, the Talmud, we know the time of the course of Abia. That would be the last week of July and the first week of August. He was serving in that period of time, and after his two weeks of responsibility as a priest at the temple, verse 23 tells us that when it came to pass, as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished. What's that talking about? Well, Zacharias, like every priest, had responsibilities after their two weeks of service in the temple as a priest. And they had to go through the ritual baths. They had to go through many activities that would keep them from returning home until all of these activities were finished. Well, it says in verse 23, when they were accomplished, he departed to his own house, which was located in Encarim, about seven miles from the temple mount. Notice verse 24. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. 
as the angel Gabriel had told Zacharias the priest, his wife Elizabeth, who had had a barren womb until this time and up in age, was going to give birth to a child. He returns to his home after his ministration, which follows his two weeks of service. We're talking about the first week of September when Zacharias would actually get home and his wife conceived, and then the text tells us that she hid herself for a five-month period of time. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And you've read this story before. You can read through it now or later after the broadcast is over. But you will see that the angel Gabriel came to Mary the Virgin and said she would conceive of the Holy Spirit and she would give birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now let's think just for a moment. Zacharias goes home. He gets there the 1st of September. His wife conceives. So let's check it out. She was six months before Mary would hear that she was going to conceive by the Holy Spirit to bring forth the man-child, Jesus Christ. October, November, December, January, February, March. That's the sixth month. That's when Mary conceives. Let's start in March. April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And so we have the conclusion that indeed Jesus Christ would be born in the month of December. Now that does not zero in on the exact day, but we've now locked in, according to the text, the month of December would be the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to look now at the tyrant. And let me remind you of the story of the tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes. In order to be able to do that, we've got to go back over to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. The prophet Daniel, in chapter 11, a very prophetic passage of Scripture, gives us five personalities, five political leaders that he prophesies and foretells will come on the scene many years before that ever happens. Let's go to verse 21 now, and we read about the madman, Antiochus Epiphanes. It talks about 360 years before the fact, a Grecian ruler who would come into Jerusalem and commit the abomination of desolation. Look at verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part. In other words, he was going to be a military leader. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and take away the daily sacrifice. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. There is going to be an abomination of desolation in the future. We'll get to that in just a moment. But this was the prototype when Antiochus Epiphanes on Kesloff 25, 168 B.C. And Kesloff is a Jewish month that corresponds with our month of December. So on December the 25th, 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes walks into the temple, takes a pig, slaughters the pig on the altar, and throws his innards all over the holy temple. That was the abomination of desolation that Daniel wrote would happen, and it took place, Keslov 25, 168 B.C. On Keslov 25, 165 B.C., that's December the 25th, three years to the day after Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple, the Maccabees came in and ran Antiochus Epiphanes out of the temple. They cleaned it up. They reconsecrated the temple. During the cleanup of the temple, they had found a flask of virgin olive oil. That's how you fuel the seven-branched candelabra, the menorah. And so they lighted the menorah with that flask of virgin olive oil, and that was enough to keep the menorah lighted for one day. 
However, it stayed lighted for eight days. Thus, the Jewish holy day of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, or the Feast of Lights. Remember, Jesus Christ celebrated the Feast of Hanukkah in John chapter 10 and verse 22. That's what the menorah in the holy place in the temple represents, the light of the world, that light Jesus Christ. Well, Hanukkah is celebrated today. The Jewish people gather with their family, and for eight days straight, they light an additional candle and talk about the activities of the Maccabees when they ran Antiochus Epiphanes out of the temple, out of Jerusalem, reconsecrated the temple, and brought it to a place where it could then serve as the worship center for the Jewish people to worship God. Now, your next question may be, what does this have to do with December the 25th? Well, that's a great question. I'm going to answer it right now. We've looked at the text in Luke chapter 1, and that indicates that Jesus Christ was indeed born in December there in the shepherd's fields. The story about the tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes gives us a date, December the 25th. And I want you to know that the theologians selected December the 25th to celebrate the birthday of Jesus Christ. It was first selected by the Western Church early in the 4th century. Actually, there was a sermon that was preached on December the 25th, 386 A.D. in Antioch. It's a very interesting connection, by the way, to Antiochus Epiphanes and the future. Antiochus performed the abomination of desolation, which was a prototype of an end-of-times prophecy that will be fulfilled. In order for that to happen, there must be another madman, a world dictator, or maybe you know him better as the Antichrist, who shall come on the scene. Now, in addition to this world dictator, we'll need a temple standing on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Again, the Bible tells us in Daniel 9:27 there will be a temple to be desecrated with the abomination of desolation at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation. Second Thessalonians 2:4, the Apostle Paul tells us how the abomination will take place as the Antichrist walks into the Holy of Holies on the temple in Jerusalem at the midway point of the tribulation period and claims to be God, the abomination of desolation. The Bible does tell us about this event that looks to the future, a connection with the first coming of Jesus Christ and the way we get the day, December the 25th, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Every single prophecy that will be fulfilled in that seven-year period of time is at the point of being fulfilled. But before that happens, before any of the prophecies of the future will be fulfilled, the next prophecy on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. When Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and we leave this place to go to be with him in the heavenlies forevermore. That rapture could happen, by the way, at any moment. How does this connect to the Christmas story? It's a very significant connection. If Jesus Christ did not fulfill all of the prophecies for the Messiah at his first coming, as he did, then we would have no assurance of the second coming. But the truth be known, the Christmas story is evidence that Jesus Christ did fulfill every one of those prophecies pertaining to his first coming. That gives us the basis upon which we then can be assured that Jesus Christ will fulfill those prophecies pertaining to his second coming. And every one of those prophecies are about to be fulfilled as the ones for his first coming 
which took place at Christmas almost 2,000 years ago. What a profound thought. The prophecies fulfilled related to the first coming of Jesus Christ give us a basis upon which then we can have assurance that Jesus Christ will fulfill every single prophecy found in the Word of God related to his second coming. I have to say, if you have any idea of those prophecies that will be fulfilled during that seven-year tribulation period, you're aware of the fact we're at that point in history when they well could be fulfilled, and very, very soon now. I hope and pray that you have looked back to that first coming of Jesus Christ in order to be prepared for the second coming by having put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Next week on the broadcast, we'll be looking at those shepherds that were in the shepherd's fields at the time of the birth of Christ and received the announcement of his birth from the angels above the shepherd's fields. What a great series. Obviously, for Rick and I, this is one of our favorites. But besides that, there are great prophetic truths in the Christmas story. Let's make sure that we keep that in mind this Christmas season. We'll be right back right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. Last Friday, the Taliban released a decree on Afghan women's rights. They said women should not be considered property or be forced into marriages. However, the statement failed to mention women's right to work or education. Denise Godwin with International Media Ministries says women throughout the Bible faced similar cultural attitudes, but God walked with them. IMM's Women of the Bible follows some of these stories. Ask God to walk with Afghan women as well. And another major challenge surfaces in Jordan. The country's deputy prime minister says hardly a day passes without drug busts at the border with Syria. Jordan's already dealing with several crises, making life even harder for believers and the population in general. MENA Leadership Center helps gospel workers get the tools and training they need to do more in the name of Jesus. Look for the full report at our website and pray for unity among churches. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries on Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com.
Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick, and we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And what a program today. We started out the program, Rick, with Ken Timmerman and a crisis at hand. And this is not the first time that we've heard this. Bob McGinnis talked about it last week. We've been talking about this crisis that seemingly could take place at any moment. That's true, Jimmy. It seems like such a dangerous situation right now, and and, and it certainly seems inevitable. It seems like something's going to happen. One of these weeks, we're going to come back on the program here, and we're going to be talking about military action and possibly even wars that have started because these events that have been set into motion uh, just seem to be continuing to head in one direction without a solution. That's true. You know, you asked Ken. He brought up the fact that what happens if Russia invades Ukraine? The United States has postured and said that it's going to protect Ukraine, as even though Ukraine is not even a part of NATO, the United States is going to step in. And what happens with the European Union? You know, when we watch these things as they're unfolded, uh, really, we could be back in, as Bob McGinnis said last week, into the Cold War. And all of these nations have nuclear missiles at their disposal, and it could get out of hand real quick. I mean, just evidence of the fact that we need to keep our eyes, well, we need to keep our eyes on God's word and what's taking place. But this this helps us to understand each and every day how much closer that we are getting to the events that take place during the tribulation period and how they're about ready to unfold right now. And before that, the rapture takes place. After that, we went to Dave Dolan, and and again, he continued to talk about how Israel is preparing for a war with Iran and doing exercises in the desert there, and it just just seems like uh, what uh, the ancient prophet Ezekiel said is is slowly coming to fruition, and that, as you said, is going to take place after the rapture of the church, which could be at any moment now. You talk about God has a plan. God had a plan, and then you look at it in the Old Testament— Uh, God had a plan, and part of that plan was calling Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and setting up Israel as a nation. And it seems like ever since Abraham came out and and God blessed Israel and God said, I'm going to choose these people to show who I am, they've been being attacked. And that was a good conversation that I think we had with Dave Dolan as we talked about uh, the rise of anti-Semitism. Of course, there's been instances throughout history, but it does seem to be getting worse. And we've talked about how that was against God's plan. That was people going against God. You know, uh, I love that conversation that you had with David. And really, Dave wanted to talk about this. This is something that you and David talked about, so you decided to go into uh, overtime, as you called it. Uh, but I like that. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Steve Herzig talked about the plan— According to God in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-five, that if you wanted to get rid of the Jewish people, all you had to do was get rid of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and to measure the foundations of the universe and the earth. That's all you have to do to get rid of the Jewish people. But we are seeing an anti-Semitic thought process today, and I do believe that that is a part, like Rich talked about, a part of a global world system uh, that is being put in place by Satan. Satan is really taking control. He's the prince of the power of the air, which means he's the prince on the earth right now. He's he's causing all of this, building up to that seven-year period of time. And we do see the anti-Semitic events happening around the world. Jewish people are returning to the land of Israel because they're making Aliyah. That's the only place that they feel safe. I thought that was a great interview, Rick, that you did with Dave. 
Then, of course, we went to Rich Schmidt, and he gave us a report from the pre-trib study group, a group that Dad was involved in putting together and forming, and it was very influential in it in the early years. Why was there a need for the pre-trib study group, and why is that important even continuing on until today? Uh, that's a great question. You know, and back in those early days, it used to be uh, really the guys that wrote the books, you know, Dr. Walver, Dr. Pentecost, Dr. Ryrie, and Tim LaHaye put this group together. And of course, dad was a great friend with Tim LaHaye, Tommy Ice, Dr. Randall Price. Uh, a lot of these men have been on our program before. They put this together so that they could, you know, basically keep each other accountable to what was being taught. And now we're talking about a global event, global globalism, as it's coming into being a world system, a philosophy of uh, a satanic philosophy coming in and uh, one that will be taken over by the Antichrist in the future. So, yes, I think it's very important that these men get together, they keep each other accountable, and that they are a sounding board to one another, uh, which is what we should all be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. Finally, it was the message that both you and I, I know, have heard quite a bit, but it's so interesting, and it's and it's typical of Dad because, you, you know, you would have some people, especially when we were taking trips to Israel, they would say December is probably not the right date because why would the shepherds be out in the fields at that time? Why are they there? So they would look at their experience and, that, and say, well, this is probably, that's not right. Dad would look at the Scripture. Dad would say, here, I'm looking at Scripture, and here's how I'm going to explain, and it does turn out that it is true it is pretty close to december 25th when christmas took place it sure is close to that but rick you know every day of the year should be christmas we should be thankful every single day we should celebrate the birth of jesus christ because without his first coming there would be no cross without his first coming there would be no tomb without his first coming there would be no resurrection and without his first coming there would be no second coming i'm so thankful that he came the first time, and we get to celebrate it at this time of the year. But really, Rick, it should be something that we celebrate every day of the year. Well, uh, our program's coming to an end today. As always, Rick, thank you for asking uh, and doing the legwork on asking the questions of our broadcast partners and getting those answers so that we can keep the body of Christ aware of what's going on in the world. That's right, Jimmy. It's so very important for us to continue to look at Scripture, to look at the Word of God, to look at Bible prophecy, and prophecy was given to us for a reason, to look at that and to be able to look at our surroundings and see where we are on God's timeline and God's plan that he laid out in Genesis and all the way through Revelation. Um, so it's just, it's just such an exciting time to be alive, and we need to take this information and the information that we're learning and understanding here and apply it to our lives and help us to influence how we are going to live. We're looking at events that are setting up events that are supposed to take place after the rapture of the church. And that's what's taking place right now. How close are we to the rapture of the church? Well, bringing our program to an end this week, we wish uh, as you get ready for the holiday season, as you get ready for the time that we celebrate the birth of Christ, that uh, you keep in mind world events and what's happening so that you might live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world and to understand the times in which you're living. With everything that's taking place, the rapture could happen today. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.